Welcome to the Trinity Radio Podcast. This podcast has a video component found at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. This means you might miss some visual aspects of the show, but it shouldn't have a serious negative effect. We'd love it if you'd run over to the YouTube channel real quick and subscribe. And if you enjoy this content, do us a favor. Take a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes and mention a couple of things you like about the podcast. If you really appreciate the show, you can help make it better and get extra content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash trinity radio. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and you found the channel that loves atheists. And I sure hope you'll stick around for this video. It can be a standalone video. At the same time, it is the final video in our series through the book of Jude in the New Testament. And I hope this has been a helpful series to you. But in this video, we're going to take a look at who the, fall, who the false teachers were that had slipped in to the community of faith to whom Jude was writing and had begun to mix uh, the truth with lies and also had given license to sin and who had rejected any sort of authority and who seemed to be after money and after things for selfish gain and weren't uh, bearing uh, uh, spiritual fruit and all those sorts of things. We're going to learn some more about them today. Some of those things that I just mentioned we're going to see in colorful illustrations that uh, we're going to get from Jude. Um, and we're also going to look at how perhaps we should react as believers when these sorts of things happen, because we are living in a time when unity and division in the church is a difficult issue. Um, some people think we should have unity across all religious traditions and irreligious traditions or groups. Some, and of course, uh, we can have certain kinds of unity, but the sort of unity we're talking about is is a different sort of unity. It's a theological unity or um, a, an agreement that in some sense uh, we're, we're all doing the same thing when I don't think we are doing the same thing, especially if we have different gods and different religions built around it, even if there are elements of truth in some of these other religions. But so some say that. Some say that at least all Christian uh, groups should, should have unity, and we should just take the names off these signs and forget denominations. Well, first of all, uh, at least one probably means by that, well, we, we, should, we should not consider cults of Christianity like the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormon Church um, to be in that sort of unity with, with Christianity. Uh, I think more what people mean is we should forget worrying about whether someone is a Presbyterian, a Methodist, or whatever else, or, or a Southern Baptist, or, or even a Catholic or a Protestant, th- those sorts of things, and just, just not worry about it and have unity. Well, I think this is getting closer to something that I think is workable, and that is the notion that it's okay to disagree about secondary matters. I say it's okay. It's important that you follow as you're led by God in your study of the Word of God and your use of reason to understand what the Word of God is saying to you as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, uh, convicting you of truth when you see it or when you hear it. Um, that's that's all obviously uh, very important, but it's, it's okay to differ on secondary matters. That is, if I sincerely believe believe that um, a particular view of end times theology is correct, and you believe it's a different perspective, and we both genuinely believe that, but we both are um, believe in the fun, what we could call fundamentals of the Christian faith, like the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the triune nature of God, uh, the, these sorts of things, the, the atonement uh, of Christ for our sins, the, these sorts of things that are fundamental, virgin birth, and things like that. Uh, as long as we agree on the fundamentals of the Christian faith, um, it's okay in the sense that we don't have to be in disunity. We don't have to be out of unity if we disagree about secondary issues. And I have to say it really bothers me when uh, when I see churches fall apart over secondary 
issues that don't have to destroy churches. Um, but sometimes they do and destroy friendships and relationships and families. And that's really a silly thing. I want to push against that sort of thing. And I understand the push it has led to, for many people to say, unity, unity, unity. But at the same time, we can run into a real problem when the things that we put up with are not issues of secondary matters of importance, but actually lead us to, in a spirit of trying to be conciliatory and, and to, to bring that unity and that, that, that sort of love in the sense that is meaningful to our culture right now, which is just um, just a, a, an acceptance uh, wh- whether or not what is being said reflects the truth as it relates to the things of God and matters of the gospel, right? And so as a result of that, um, sometimes the disunity is necessary. Sometimes it's necessary to draw a line in the sand. And as a result of that, I think we get something like uh, what we see here with Jude, because though it may feel loving, it may seem loving um, to to uh, to embrace someone who is teaching false things like this uh, and calling it Christianity. If our King of Love is right, God is love. If our King of Love, with His Kingdom of Love, is correct, then we're actually not doing something loving by encouraging people by acceptance of their positions or not calling out those positions and feigning unity or having some sort of unity um, of the sort we're talking about, theological unity where it cannot be had. And I think that's an important important issue. So we're going to take a look at this as uh, Jude gives us more. Um, he has a message in the midst of this for us, and he begins to give us more detail about these teachers. Let's look at verse 12 together of the book of Jude. These are the ones who are hidden reefs in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear. What is this business about love feasts? I mean, this sounds really weird. Well, it might sound really weird, but it's but it's a thing that happened in the early church. It seems that they would have a meal, not, not just a, a small taking of communion, but the communion would happen um, as a part of or after or before this, this meal of sorts. And as a result, it was a very, um, it was a time of community. The, the Christian faith really is about love and community. This is why we call each other brothers and sisters, not because we believe it's a new ontological reality for us, but also because this is the way we live to see each other and to treat each other. And um, if you say, well, I'm not your brother or sister in that sense, so you must think horrible things about me. No, because um, we're to love everybody. In fact, even if one is an enemy, we're to love our enemies. And of course, Christians know this, and maybe even non-Christians have heard this many times. So they had these love feasts. And um, it says that the, these, uh, by the way, with these love feasts, I've just now been reading on the recommendation of a friend and fellow um, uh, YouTuber and content creator. I've begun the fiction, Christian fiction series, The Circle, uh, The Circle series, the Books of History series by Ted Decker. And, um, it, you know, it, it, there's some moments here there where I'm like, ah, I don't know, but but it's it's actually a pretty beautiful kind of Narnian, kind of grown up Narnian picture where it's a, you step into another world, but is it? And there's imagery there and all these kind of things. And they picture the love feasts. And I think they may even call them that um, or the love festival or the love feast or something like that. And it is in, in this story, a, a, an otherworldly community that represents the church. Uh, just just experiencing just a, a meal and 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 uh, praise and dancing and singing and and fellowship and celebration and this is a wonderful thing and I thought they kind of captured something there that that brought it with new eyes um, to the reader um, and if there are people it's it's in the book the, the the green book I think the first 
the prequel book. All right, so, um, but but let's look at what these, so what is he saying about the, they're like hidden reefs. Well, what, what is a hidden reef? Like a reef that you don't see if you're shipping and you, and you hit the reef and it breaks the boards of the ship and it shipwrecks you. Uh, that's what he's saying these people are like. They are, they are hidden reefs who have slipped into the love feasts. And this means that they have mixed the truth of the lie in some sense, because how did they slip into the love feast? And so here we have these, um, we have this setup. All right. And this is what he says about them, like shepherds caring only for themselves. All right. Now he's going to give you imagery here that for the most part looks like what it's doing is it's giving you examples of things that should be giving you something and aren't giving you something or should have order, let's say, and don't have order. Um, so like shepherds caring only for themselves. Well, the very nature of a shepherd is that the shepherd cares for someone else. The shepherd cares only for themselves. Uh, clouds without water. Well, when you see a cloud, the hope, especially in this period of history, but even to a certain extent here today, we have to have rain. You see uh, a cloud and you think, okay, we're going to get rain for our crops. And then of course, uh, there's no rain. This is what these people are like. They, it's like they, they're promising some sort something, but they're not giving it. They're not giving the spirituality. They're, they're taking the position of leaders. Shepherds are like leaders. They're taking the position of leaders, but there's no, there's nothing spiritual coming. There's, there's no, nothing coming. That's good for me that I, that I need, um, spiritually speaking, uh, clouds without water carried along by winds. It's like, they're just, they're just may perhaps it means by this, they're not carried along. It seems like there's no direction, right? Chaos versus order. It seems like rather than um, there being some sort of plan, they're just carried about perhaps by their desires. He talks about, a lot about their sinful desires. Um, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. Now, as you're reading this, there are commas there, but the uprooted after, so you have trees without fruit and then doubly dead, which doesn't necessarily sound like it has to refer to trees without fruit, but then it says uprooted. So we're taking this, this, uh, these, this triplet of imagery, let's say as, as one thing. So they're autumn trees, but they're without fruit, um, doubly dead and uprooted. So they're dead in two senses. They're dead in that they don't produce fruit. And they're also dead in that they're uprooted. I mean, that's, that's a way I think we could look at that. And so, um, so not only do they not have fruit, it doesn't seem like there's going to be any, no promise of fruit. They're uprooted, right? There's no, there's no source to any actual life there. Um, wild waves of the sea. Again, no order. There's just chaos churning up their own shameful deeds like dirty foam. So this emphasizes again that, that they're working, uh, their own evil desires. And this, this is frothing up about them. And it could mean something. You could get something from this, uh, shameful deeds, uh, deeds like, like dirty foam, like this foam that's coming up. Maybe they're proud of it or something. I, I don't know. I don't want to read too much into it. I'm just trying to, to grapple with what's here. Wandering stars, uh, again, wandering stars, chaos versus order for whom the gloom of darkness has been reserved forever. And that's clear judgment language. And we've heard um, other stuff about judgment already in the letter to that. So bottom line is you see here, the ultimate thing is they're taking a position of leadership. They've slipped in. They're promising. They're making promises uh, about things, uh, it seems, but they can't deliver. There's no spiritual spirituality. There's no real source to life. They're, they're clouds without rain. They're, they're like wandering stars and, and they're, and they're headed for the gloom of darkness for which there's been reserved forever. Um, so, so that's, there you have that. So let's look back at verse 14, or let's look now at verse 14. It was also about these people that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied saying, behold, the Lord has come with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers finding fault 
following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. So now, before you get too hung up on this, I don't want us to break the flow of the point that Jude is making, the, the argument that he's building, the sermon, I believe, that he's delivering in written form by focusing too much on Enoch here. In previous videos in this series, and this is in a playlist, you can go check them out, uh, we talk all about Enoch and whether or not Jude thinks of the book of Enoch as it existed in his day as inspired and what, what all is going on there. Um, and we, we talk about all of that and we unpack all of that there. But I'd rather here just have us just continue, point you in that direction, and then just continue with the force of what he's trying to say because he's, he's, he's taking these words that are true words, whether you think that the document um, is true or not that that existed the book of Enoch that we have today and that they had then uh, whether you think that's true or whether it contained a kernel of Enoch or, or whatever it is these things are still true that's the point the point is still made right whatever you think about the book of Enoch the point that is being made here with with these words is still true that there's a judgment coming I mean this flows off of what was said there about the dark the gloom of darkness has been reserved forever so this all of these things this judgment this darkness this is all coming all right, um, so look down at verse 17 now. It says, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, They uh, that they were saying to you in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. All right, now, now stop right there, because I want you to notice something. Um, uh, I say in the in the notes that I have for this series that I follow closely the outline that uh, Steve Gregg uses for his Bible teaching most of the time, and here I just want to I want to hug tight to a point that is made there that I think is really really helpful in understanding this, and that is that you've you've heard me say that there in the, earlier in the series that there is some dispute about whether Second um, Peter was written first and then Jude was written and perhaps used some of what was in second Peter or, or was doing something with it because there's so many similarities that, that can't be dismissed or whether uh, Jude was written first and second Peter is incorporating things in Jude, or you could say maybe the Holy spirit just inspired them to say almost very similar things, almost exactly at, some, at times in both cases. Um, I have taken the position and I have to admit I was influenced by Steve Gregg. I have taken the position, I've been impressed with the position that actually what is happening here is that Second Peter was written first and written by Peter and Jude is an expository sermon using Second Peter as the text. And one of the reasons for that is what we see here in verse 17. Uh, there are multiple things like this in the, in the text that we've looked at throughout the series. But it says, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, well, what did these apostles say? In the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. Okay, so Jude is saying there were apostles saying this. Okay, there were apostles. Right now, what do we get if we go to Second Peter, which has the obvious connections with the book of Jude? Well, in Second Peter chapter three, verse three, it says, "Know this first of all that in the last days mockers will come with their mock mocking, following after their own lusts." In the last days, mockers will come. Uh, 
Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts. You got that in mind? Now come back to verse 17 of Jude. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. And here's Peter saying, know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts. Almost exactly the same language. One document, Peter says, in the last days, this is going to happen. You go over to Jude, and Jude says, the apostle told, the apostle told you this was going to happen. Now, it could be this just something that the apostles in general were saying a lot, and so it ends up obviously in Peter's document and also uh, Jude saying it, but it's just so similar here, so close. And there are so many things like that in this document that I just think uh, it's important to, to, you know, to point out to you there. Okay, um, and they were saying to you in the last time, okay, these are the ones who cause divisions, verse 19, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on, okay, before we go to verse 22, because that's going to take some focus, let's take a look here and notice, keep yourself, verse 21, keep yourself in the love of God. Now, Others have pointed this out. Steve Gregg points this out. But it's interesting because you might think when you hear, keep yourself in the love of God, you might think something like, does that mean that I have to make of myself such a person that God will always love me? No, that's not what it means. I, I submit to you, and others have, have pointed this out. I, th- I submit to you what they have said, too. I'm not, I'm not coming up with this original. Uh, that what is being said here is, that you're not supposed to be like that. No, remain in the atmosphere of love that the love feasts are all about. The community of love, this this atmosphere of love, this spirit of love. It's the God of love. He's the king of love. He's He wants us to have that sort of spirit, not this sort of a spirit um, uh, that, that, has, that, that is developed among these other teachers, these false teachers. Now, with that spirit of love, what do you do? Well, you're going to have to approach people, and this gets interesting. Uh, verse 22 and 23 has been uh, is is translated very differently and to mean different things. It seems like in different translations of the Bible. Go check it out. You can go somewhere like Bible Gateway and take a look at them, or something like that, or Bible Hub. Um, and that's interesting. You look at the commentaries again. Uh, it seems like there's disagreement now. Let me offer you some ways to think about this. I'm going to offer you perhaps three different ways of understanding this. Let's read it first. Verse 22 says, And have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Okay, now, now what I took this, and still frankly do take this to basically mean, is that when, when it comes to some people, that the way that you're going to influence them opposed or away from these false teachers who have slipped in is to become friendly with them, become friends with them, to reach them with mercy, to, to um, show them the love of God in that way. And I think we should always do that. And, but specifically, you know, be their friend and, and develop a relationship and that sort of thing is, is what's going to be helpful to them. And then other people with fear dragging them out of the fire, you might imagine what this might well mean. Um, it's very, it's very serious that this is something that uh, their situation, perhaps they're too close, they've gotten too far in, and now you have to be more straightforward about uh, 
hey, listen, there's a judgment coming. You need to take this very seriously. And just becoming their friend is, is not going to is not going to be enough. Now, does this have anything to now? What's another way of looking at it? Another way of looking at it is to say that the fear dragging them out of the fire, the fire would still be judgment language. Um, make sure I'm not saying it in just the way I memorized it, snatching them out of the fire. Yeah, the fire is still judgment language, but the, the fear isn't so much about them as the fear is about you in that when you're trying to reach certain types of people that are really close to this false teaching or perhaps in our day are in certain atmospheres or around certain groups of people um, or you can only talk to them when you go to certain places, whatever it is, or maybe they're just they have a big influence on you and uh, it's a negative influence. Uh, one way to think about this is it's like snatching them out of the fire, right? It's like it's like be careful because it, you might get burned. You might be influenced. You might be drawn in too. And that is, of course, something we all need to think about. That's certainly true, whether that's what's the idea here. But let me give you one more reason to think that might be what's going on here. And the reason I think that might be what's going on here is because of what it says next. Um, look, it says in the same verse, and, and save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Um now, the, the idea here is the Jewish notion that like if it's not cleanness or uncleanness, uh, polluted is talking about clean or unclean, but not in terms of germ theory or infections. It's talking about ceremonial cleanness and uncleanness. It's also um, so so like it's make he's making an, an analogy to those laws in the Old Testament, the way that things functioned under Yahweh worship in the Old Testament, where if uh, a garment became unclean, right, because of a dead body or because it touched uh, uh, or, be, or because of menstruation or something like that. And then someone else. And again, that doesn't mean sinful. It just means ceremonially unclean, which is not the same thing necessarily as sinful in all cases and isn't the same thing as sinful in all cases. Um, but uh, but you, you ha but if someone touches that, even though they were ceremonially clean, now they're ceremonially unclean. Now, none of that is going on in practice, in, in worship practice in, in this church, in this station. But what he's saying is, be careful. It could be he's saying, be careful snatching them out of the out of the flames because you don't want to get burnt because you do not want to have something ceremonially unclean make you unclean, i.e., uh, you don't want to be influenced and start living the way they're living. Um, that's another way of understanding this. And yet a third way that's kind of like the way I first uh, offered that you have to reach some people with mercy and, and compassion and that sort of thing. Other people, you got to be straightforward and, and just uh, the fear, you know, talk, hey, if that's what it takes. Um, but um, with the judgment language. But another way of thinking about it is that it's a combination of both of those things all the time. So some of it is reaching people with fear and and uh, or be reaching people with mercy and compassion, and some of it is is reaching them with more straightforward judgment language. Um, that's the position that Dr. Pritchett takes: is that it's some of both. I take the position that he's talking about two different approaches, but you certainly could do both at the same time. And then, of course, we want to understand the the polluted language is perhaps he's saying. Uh, it's a fear you should have, not that they should have because this judgment language that you don't fall into the sins they are and become polluted like ceremonial garments. Okay, um, so that's super interesting to me. I don't know how interesting it is to you, but hopefully it's interesting. All right, verse 24. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. 
Now, one thing before we close out is to say is something of eternal security might come up here because it says here in verse 24, now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Okay, that's a great hope that we have, that he can present us to God that way. Um, and so, but one might use this to argue for eternal security and say, look right there, it's not up to you. He's able to protect you from stumbling. If you stumble, it would be because he didn't protect you, but he's able to protect you from stumbling. Well, that's all fine and well and good, and I'm sympathetic to that. I've always taught eternal security. However, um, I do want to say here that the conditional security position would not say that, uh, would be able to say the same things that an eternal security person would say about this. They would just say, make sure that you, you it's like uh, when you you come to, to the Lord, you get everlasting life. Yeah. Well, then if you, if you, if you are apostate, the, the, it never was everlasting life to begin with. Well, no, it's just that the everlasting life, that source of everlasting life is in Jesus, the conditional immortality advocate would say. And so as long as you stay in there, he's going to be faithful and he's going to do everything that he said he would do. Don't get out of that. And many who hold this position would say, it's not that you get out of Christ by sinning too many times or particular sins or whatever. It's rather by walking away or stopping believing. And yes, that is a sin, but it's a particular um, it's it's a particular type of thing where you're saying I am walking away from the source of everlasting life, according to those who would uh, argue for conditional immortality. Now I'm just going to leave this here, but make sure that when it comes to our loving King, that you understand that in this world where we're talking about unity and division, and it's so hard in the body of Christ, please make sure that you are showing love and you're representing what we have in the love feast when we come together and we sing praise songs and we fellowship and all of those things. And you take that that spirit out into the world and taking it out into the world doesn't necessarily mean just uniting with anyone and everyone who calls themselves a Christian's unity in the theological sense that we're talking about, of affirming that what we believe is in some sense consistent on the basics, uh, fundamentals of Christianity. That would not be love. You can call that love, but understand you serve a God of love and the King of love. This is, if you're teaching something other than what the King of love is teaching and has taught, then what you're teaching may sound loving to the culture right now, and it may feel loving to particular individuals, but it will actually be to work against love because it will be to work against the King of love. And with that, I close the series. Thank you.